Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today I'm very excited to have a founder from Europe. So um, obviously we're going to be learning quite a bit on the, you know, how you go from corporate to actually starting building and scaling companies and then also learning a ton along the way. So I guess without further ado, Roman Ridweger, welcome to the show today. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. So originally... Originally, you're born and raised in Munich. So, how was how was life growing up there? Oh, it was good. Uh, life was good. Uh, I was lucky. My dad was the manager of the Munich airport, and so we always traveled a lot around. And uh, I was an early global citizen that way, spending a lot of my time uh, in other countries, even when I was young, staying with other families, learning other languages. Um, at the same time, Munich was a, a nice, almost provincial town at the time, uh, and we did a lot of skiing. I even ended up in the army with the mountaineers for two years. Um, so it was a mix of a healthy Munich mountain life and some international exposure. Very cool. And obviously, you developed this love for medicine and healthcare. So how how did you start, you know, developing that love? Yeah, well, it probably started with my mom being a physician, uh, but I originally said, you know, I'm not going to do medicine because that's what my mom did. And uh, it really started when I had a, a sports injury from playing basketball and went to the hospital and saw how they cared for me. I, I liked that. Um, and then when I was in the army, uh, I was an officer of the reserve, so I cared for people. Uh, and I liked that as well. So I felt, you know, I thought that hospital thing was quite cool. I like caring for people. And so I decided I'll study medicine. So when you were doing medicine and, and you were doing your studies, there's an internship for you at McKinsey that kind of like uh, changed your view and perhaps things and, and, and how you were planning about, you know, going after the study. So, so what happened there? Yeah, it was like at the end of my medical studies, <laughs> I had the chance to do an internship at McKinsey um, through a scholarship that I had. And I really liked uh, the intellectual challenge at McKinsey um, and did a project in newspapers, totally something totally different. Um, I had great people working there um, who were my bosses uh, at this internship. 
And uh, I decided that I liked that much better than working at the hospital. Uh, and so I decided to switch careers. And I did this internship at McKinsey, work, working with great people. And I decided that I liked that much better than medicine because medicine actually was a lot of routine work. And at McKinsey, I loved the non-routine, the daily challenge, changing challenges. Um, so I decided to apply at McKinsey um, and with much, without much preparation. I went into the interview and uh, I miserably failed the interview um, because they did some, some, some uh, mathematical questions that, you know, I hadn't in med, med school, I hadn't dealt with mathematics for a long time. Um, so I failed it and I wondered, you know, what shall I do now? I said, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to the other consultancies. Uh, and I, I realized that there was actually a GMAT test that you could pre prepare for that had these kinds of uh, auto-math problems in it. Uh, so I studied for the GMAT test. And fortunately, uh, I then got a job at another consultancy, AT Kearney, uh, where I worked for a year, um, then went to INSEAD, got an MBA there. And being a very bad loser, I reapplied at McKinsey and said, you know, I still want to get there. Uh, and um, luckily for the second time around, uh, I was better prepared uh, and uh, got the job at McKinsey and then worked for two years at McKinsey, mainly um, helping health insurances uh, improve what they were doing. I liked it a lot and I saw that there was a new wave coming from the US, uh, managed care, and decided to leave McKinsey and um, do a startup uh, uh, in managed care uh, in Germany. So my poor, dad was, my poor dad was shocked. For the first time, he was shocked when I stopped uh, you know, becoming a doctor and went going to McKinsey. And when he just uh, adjusted, uh, I then left McKinsey, did a startup. But I had to do it. you know. And um, so that first startup was a startup where we helped patients uh, find the right doctor and uh, when they were chronically ill we helped them with their chronic diseases with the first telemetric um, um, telemetric ways for instance there was a scale that the patients had at home and we built a bluetooth chip in it and so the scale sent the weight to our call center and so we basically knew when the cardiologic patients were getting into a heart failure. So it was very early, um, very early telemedicine that we did there. And obviously here you were able to really get exposure to how you build and scale uh, a company. And, and, and you also saw the, the full cycle because you ended up uh, getting this business acquired. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I first started out um, actually going broke <laughs> very quickly. So there was this day when uh, basically uh, the financing round wasn't quite finished yet, but uh, I had bills on my table, uh, within my, which in my youthful ways, uh, I really didn't really understand at the time that uh, that was illegal. But I closed the financing round then uh, quickly enough, so in, we never noticed, nobody ever noticed. Um, and in the end, we did get acquired, but um, it was not the big hit that we were thinking for, hoping for, because that, that was the end of the new economy. And the new economy 
we were preparing for an IPO. Uh, Healthy on WebMD from the US uh, was thinking about acquiring us, and then uh, the whole new economy came tumbling down, and we basically went for a quick uh, honorary exit to Germany's uh, largest private payer at the time, um, which then, uh, from one moment to the other, got me uh, to you know to be- I became a executive of a health insurance. Um, and before which, doing that, before before yeah. going into that, Roman, I want to understand what kind of um, insights, or perhaps uh, because I'm sure that you did quite a fair amount of of reflection on your experience on your first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial rodeo. Uh, what what kind of insights did you get? Let's say from op- from being an operator in a in a economy that is that is correcting. Um, and I think that probably that taught you a few lessons that perhaps you're going to be applying next time. You know, a, a correction from the market you know comes around. So so what did you learn? Yeah, what did I learn? I, so I learned a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, I had to let some staff go, which was painful, obviously, because we'd worked very hard to get them on board before. So we had did some hard uh, rounds, reducing the costs that we had. Um, I did a very interesting maneuver towards the end uh, when we basically uh, we had some very in the new economy, uh, we had actually done a merger with another company uh, in in record for four weeks, uh, which we didn't do enough due diligence. And they had some very unfavorable contracts that were basically pulling us down. So what I did at that time, we um, filed for bankruptcy and still had a lot of money in the bank, but we filed for bankruptcy very early on uh, and then renegotiated all those contracts. And once we had renegotiated those contracts, we took the bankruptcy back uh, and then sold to the private payer. Um, so it was a, a very rocky ride. So it was very, uh, very helpful for us to reduce cost early on. It was very helpful for us to renegotiate the, those contracts with the threat of uh, going into a bankruptcy. And uh, it was also very helpful for us that uh, we... Um, we had worked on these relationships to the, to the potential acquirers uh, early on because in health insurance, you know, those things take a long, long time. Uh, but the most memorable memory of, those, of, the, of that period actually for me is on the day when we lost the big pitch, when we decided that we have to sell and uh, we have to do all these things. Um, obviously, uh, my my C-level colleagues were very frustrated because uh, we were all rich on paper and after that day we weren't rich on paper anymore. Um, So I took them to the IMAX where there was a a movie about Shackleton uh, and uh, where he went to the South Pole and uh, saved his crew. And so he basically never reached the South Pole, but he brought his crew back alive. And that's the whole story of the the, the film in, in a very good book too. And so I went, took my colleagues there to this movie and I said to them, it's the same in our situation. You know, we haven't reached the South Pole. We are not super rich, uh, but we have to get uh, the members of our crew back uh, and get, get, get them a safe haven, a safe job. And that means that we're going to have to do some hard work now uh, to find the next home for this company. 
And we did that over the next three months, you know, renegotiating those contracts, taking, taking the, uh, uh, the company then to the next owner, uh, where basically I just learned the other day that one of the uh, employees of that time now even uh, uh, has come into pension age uh, in this company. And <laughs> so it has been worth it, uh, certainly for, for the people in the company. Uh, and I think as a founder, you also, uh, you don't do this to make a lot of money for yourself, but you also take a lot of, you take a lot of people with you on the trip and you have a responsibility, even if it does go wrong, to make sure that uh, they have a happy, happy end uh, in that trip. Of course. Of course, and obviously after this uh, transaction, then you know you did a little bit of time, you know, working for for this other company. Uh, but then also you uh, did your own advisory, and then also you got into conferences. I guess that this, to a certain degree, it helped you to stay on top of what was happening, to stay on top of trends, and obviously a very good segue into starting your business today, Otonova. So, so can yeah. you tell us uh, as to what you really learned during this time and, and what really got you into starting Autonova? What was that incubation and that process for you to really identify this and say, I'm going to go at this opportunity? So right after I left uh, the health insurance that had bought my first startup, I went to BBDO and I learned a lot about marketing and sales because that was the first thing that I learned. I think if you have a great innovation, good. Uh, if you can make a great contracts, great. But in the end, it's all about traction. And traction you get by being very good at marketing and sales. And that's the first thing that I learned. The second thing, um, when I did my own consultancy, obviously, I had to do consulting projects uh, to bring in the money. And those consulting projects were mostly in the area of pharma. Uh, and that was certainly not something where I would do a startup later on, because uh, for pharma startups, you need a lot of money. And uh, uh, But I also wanted to do things uh, interested me. So basically, as I was the owner of my own health uh, healthcare consulting company, I could do stuff that I wanted to do. So I did a lot of innovation projects where I helped bigger companies acquire smaller companies or smaller companies to, to get the next financing round. Uh, I didn't make as much money on, as a consultant on those projects that, that, as I made on the pharma product, products, uh, but I worked towards my next step. You know, as I always had this long-term vision where I wanted to end up in, that was my next startup. And uh, then I think the best thing that I did was uh, running a conference. So I ran a conference, I started a conference, and I thought, what is it that I really want to do? That's how I want to call the conference, and I called it Innovations and Investments in Healthcare, because that's I'm a fan of innovations, uh, and uh, if you want to get them financed and running, you need investments. And... Um, I could get great people to come to that conference. So I would pay for a business class flight from the U.S. to, to Berlin uh, for that and uh, for a stay in Hotel Adlon. And I had great people coming, um, you know, like uh, Heli Teco, who started Rock Health, was there as a speaker. And many, many other great speakers uh, came there because it's fun for a speaker, you know. Or we, we had the next conference we had at the Zoe House in Berlin. We always had great venues. I didn't care about making money with the conference, so it was mostly just broke even. And so I had the greatest speakers there and 
learn a lot about current trends. And if I go back and see and have a look at the programs of those conferences, you know, I see a lot of things that we now do at Autonoma. So that was a way for me to really stay uh, in the VC scene and the innovation scene and the healthcare scene and seeing the latest and greatest from not only Germany, but even from other European markets. And still today, I see those people who went, came to the conferences, they all have made great innovations, uh, started companies. And uh, uh, so that was actually the, a, a great pathway to starting Autonova. But in the end, how did Autonova start? A venture capitalist came to my office and showed me an investment that he wanted to make. And um, I told him it's not going to work because he will have to rely on that uh, startup again to position their services with their health insurance. And health insurances are very slow in their decision-making. And I said, you know, if you really have balls, you start a health insurance. And I told him about uh, Oscar in the U.S., you know, and said, you know, this is something that one can do something comparable uh, in Germany. And then uh, you are the paying layer and the health uh, the healthcare scene, and uh, you can actually drive the innovations. And uh, yeah, he was he was caught up. He, he liked that. Uh, we even talked to a different investor uh, over the next six months, basically preparing this a little bit at the beginning, trying to see who the management team could be. Um, and basically, uh, I have a very big ego, so uh, after a while, I've figured, you know, that the best CEO would be myself because you need different skill sets for this kind of job. Uh, you need to understand health insurance. You need to understand startup. You need to understand financing, how that works. And uh, we didn't really find anybody else that we could put on that seat. And so I decided to leave my consultancy to my employees uh, and finally did sell it and uh, to launch that. And uh, funny story. Very cool. And how, how 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 old were you there? I was fifty two when we started. Fifty one, fifty two when we started. So not the typical twenty four year old eating ramen noodles, you know, from let's say after yeah. you know a college dorm room or whatever that is. So so is it really possible to be able to launch a startup and keep the same energy and momentum, you know, even if you're after your fifties? Yeah, so I did. I did it twice, right? I did it once when I was young, didn't have a wife and no kids, and the second time I had a wife and kids. And uh, but the secret was uh, I didn't have young kids, you know. So I think it's actually better. Um, uh, my kids were, my sons were in puberty; they didn't need me anymore, and um, so I had a lot of time again. And the other thing is, I came from consultancy, so I was work. I was used to working hard, long hours. Also working from home, doing telcos in my holidays. Um, so the change uh, in pace wasn't as hard as it maybe is for somebody who has a steady day job. Um, but if I compare it, uh, it's actually better to start a company when you're older. Um, first of all, I have the experience from my, from my former life. You know, I know the kind of mistakes I don't want to do anymore uh, from my first startup. Um, I'm settled in my life with my first startup. I was at the same time still looking uh, for a wife, basically, <laughs> uh, which, which I'm not anymore. So I'm just, uh, I, I'm actually much more focused now than I was then. Uh, I'm much more stable now than I was then. 
Um, do I still, you know, feel like working three 20-hour shifts uh, in a row? No. You know, uh, probably, you know, when you get over 50, you just don't only work harder, but smarter. At the same time, uh, if I look today at the younger generation, you know, the millennials, some of them don't even want to work as hard as I still am working with in my 50s. So, um, kind of long story short, I think uh, I would encourage anybody uh, in their 50s to start a company if they want to. It's, it's more a question of mindset, really, uh, of, um, of your risk profile, you know, whether I personally enjoy it. I enjoy starting something. I enjoy taking a risk. I don't need safety, security. Um, and uh, that's probably much more important uh, than how old you are. So, so Autonova. So, Autonova is born. Uh, and what, what ended up being the business model of Autonova so that the people that are listening get it? Yeah, so basically, um, to understand Autonova, you have to understand a little bit the German healthcare system. That's um, unfortunately. So it's, it's a very specific healthcare system. So what we have, we have 10% of the German healthcare system is a little bit like the U.S., so it's like um, private health insurance. You pay your premiums, you know, you're insured. The difference is you stay for life. And uh, there is a very strong regulator. It's a very regulated market. And basically, all the players in the health insurance market are profitable. And uh, you pay the same premium all over your life, more or less. And so when you're young, you accrue money. And when you're old, the insurance uses that for you. And that means you, and if you switch insurances, you actually lose that money. So basically what you have, you have um, health insurances um, that are very set in their ways, have been profitable for many decades, um, uh, almost a cozy cartel. And uh, the regulator every 20 years lets in a new, a new player into the market, is very conservative about that. And he let the regulator let us in because you, the regulator wanted to have digital innovation in that market and a little bit of more competition. Um, so that's one segment of the market and uh, a segment of the market where you have a net promoter score uh, of 11 in average, you know, which is very bad. Uh, customers are not happy. They basically see in other parts of their life the Amazons and Apples and their, that service level, and they don't experience it with their health insurances. And so basically, we, we, we set out and said, you know, we're going to be a health insurance in an app. And we do everything from the app. Uh, there's a concierge service in the app. There, All the bills go through the app. And the next day, it's going to be on your account. The money is on your accounts. And so it's total service dedication um, and uh, at, at, very, at very attractive rates. And that's that's how we started that business. You know, and it's like a very, uh, it's a very difficult business. You have to get a license from the from the regulator. That took us one and a half years. Wow. Um, after we started our full health insurance product, we also launched a product for the other ninety percent of the German population who have uh, coverage that is okay, but it doesn't really cover your dental. Uh, your dental, uh, the dental coverage is not really good. Uh, so it's like a top of health insurance, a supplemental health insurance. That's more and something that. And obviously, for a business like this, uh, Roman, it's a. Uh, you know, you were 
we were saying just for the license alone is like a year and a half. So I'm sure that for for a business of this nature, you know, I'm sure that you had to also raise quite a bit of money. How much money have you guys raised today? Yeah, um, until this day, we have raised 40 million at the time of the launch. So we basically needed to have 40 million uh, in our accounts before the regulator let us launch. Uh, and then after the launch, uh, we have raised another 60 million. Got it. So all in all, 100. So in, in this case, uh, I know, you know that the, having alternatives to closing around, you know, it's, it's very important. How important for you was having alternatives? Oh, it was. Uh, actually, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had alternatives. Um, it started with the, at the very start uh, when, uh, when we launched it. Uh, there was this first venture capitalist who wanted to finance it. And um, <clears throat> we had a second venture capitalist who was invested also in Oscar. And um, I had a very interesting uh, call then. Uh, at the time uh, with the with the investors of Oscar and they basically said um, you know you guys are a copycat and your competitors and uh, we don't like what you're doing and we don't allow this investor to invest with you so at that time I basically at the beginning I thought you know both investors would do 2.5 million but then one was gone so very quickly I got another another uh, VC on board that also wanted to invest. And then my first investor, Hospital Ventures, said, you know, now we're going to do the five million. Uh, and it was very, it was important for them to have somebody else stepping in right, right away. So they felt like this must be a good thing, you know, because at the beginning you have a lot of um, insecurity, really, because you don't know, nobody can really know how this startup will turn out. Um, of course, you're missing out. The the central yeah, version that that helped me a lot. And then later on, when we still didn't have the license, one year later, you know, the question is, do you will we ever get a license? And once we get the license, will we get traction? And the hard that was even harder than that. Um, my current investors felt like you know, oh, you know, are we going to do the next round and at what valuation? Um, hmm, it's really difficult. And then I found another investor who just. Uh, was getting his fund started. So basically, uh, another large insurance was um, filling his fund. And when this investor then said, you know, I want to invest, and then right away, my, my other investor said, okay, we're going to do it. Now, in the end, weeks later, we found out that uh, the insurance wouldn't f f do this fund for political reasons. And uh, so in retrospect, I found out that uh, that was never a viable option. But just having this option up in the air for a couple of weeks helped me to close that financing round. Wow. So, uh, so I think all of us out there who, who were successful always had some moments before in time where it was very close, you know. Yeah, and definitely very, very close and very stressful. So uh, absolutely, Roman. So, so I guess... Uh, Obviously, now you guys, uh, you know, like have uh, raised all this money. You have like significant footprint. How how big are you guys now so that the people that are listening get an idea? Yeah. So uh, at the beginning, the first one and a half years were very difficult. We were growing slowly uh, because we had underestimated that most of the market in Germany is going via comparison portals and brokers. 
And we had just said, you know, the typical startup way, you know, we're going to uh, do it totally new and um, we're going to disrupt everything. Um, and one and a half years ago or one year ago now, we decided um, we're going to switch this and we're going to have tariffs with commissions built in and we're going to go onto the comparison portals and we're going to build our brand. And uh, since then, we are now growing with uh, over basically over 1,000 users uh, or new insured lives per month, every month. And we are basically doubling uh, our numbers of insured lives uh, every three to four months. Um, so as a business, the numbers don't sound so impressive, right? So we're still talking about thousands, uh, not hundreds of thousands. But yeah. uh, you have to see that one customer pays 6,000 euros a year and pays that for the next 50 years. You know, so the customer lifetime value is very high. Um, yeah. At the same time, our business now is, is a threefold business. So we have the full insurance, the top-up insurance, and we also have sold part of our software to other health insurances. Um, so it really is about... Um, getting a lot of own lives, but also getting our app into the hands of other insured persons. So the, the, the vision is uh, to have a, the best health insurance in Germany with a very high NPS, which we have because our NPS is 70, 70, uh, while the industry average is 11. Um, but also have a very, get very many people onto our app by uh, even licensing part of the app out to other health insurances. Got it. So, so Roman, so one of the things that, that I typically ask the folks that come on the show is, if you had that opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, Roman, with that younger Roman that was maybe thinking about launching a business, now, knowing what you know now, obviously you've been through the ringer, you've, now, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of being an entrepreneur. What would be that piece of advice that you would give to your younger self before launching a business and why, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think my main advice would be look out for strong partners right from the beginning. You know, any, no entrepreneur is so good that he can do it without strong partners. And uh, that gives you leverage, that gives you... Um, scalability, uh, and that gives you market power. And all the examples that I've seen in my life where some where things have gone really well have been because of strong partners. And so that, that would be my main, my main recommendation. So in my our case, for instance, um, we have as, as an investor the largest and strongest German private health insurance. It's invaluable. You know, uh, oh, we could have done the same good work without that strong partner. It would have not gotten us to the same point as it has gotten us today. As the saying goes, you can go faster alone, but farther when you go together. Ah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's, there we go. That's it. Yeah. I totally, totally get behind that, Roman. So, Roman, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? The best way is, I guess, through my LinkedIn profile. Uh, and contact me through that. All right, fantastic. Well, Roman, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. 
Alejandro, thank you very much. Uh, and also thank you very much for rephrasing my clumsy ideas uh, into a beautiful sentence. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.